you know, 1% could be the new, new zero in the U.S. because we think the Powell Fed is loath to go uh, to negative yielding or negative rates here in the States anytime soon. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Uh, our good friend Ryan Dietrich is traveling today, so Jeff Bookbinder from Boston is dialing in. And I uh, want to welcome you to the call, Jeff. Thank you so much for being on and helping out. It's good to be with you uh, again uh, here this week, John. How are things with you down there in uh, Fort Mill? Well, I had to make an adjustment today. I'm, I'm sitting in Ryan's chair. I usually sit in my own chair, but I'm sitting in Ryan's chair. And I've got to say, the... Uh, the 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 headset was a little big. I really had to wind it down. So I think uh, Ryan's melon is a little bigger than mine. That's for sure. Literally, huge huge cranium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, to put that brain power in there, you need a little extra space. I right? think so. I think so. And I uh, appreciate you. I know you're playing hurt. You were sick most of the weekend, so appreciate you uh, being able to dial in. Sure thing. Yeah, I uh, had a heavy dose of liquids over the weekend. Some spicy soup and. Uh, you know, echinacea smoothies, and I'm I'm good to go. All right. So the girls got sick, and it just passed on to dad. Yeah. And in fact, when when my daughter went to the pediatrician, the first thing he asked is, "How's dad feeling?" <laughs> he, he he knew that uh, I was not going to avoid this. So I, I was the last in the chain, but uh, wasn't able to uh, uh, to avoid it. We're all just uh, too close, living in one house. Dominoes were falling, and you had your first snowstorm last week, right? Of 2019-2020 winter uh, season? It's it's getting washed away today with heavy rain all day. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it got about eight inches where I live. It, it was um, a little inconvenient because I had some travel last week. But we got uh, we got through it. Hardy folks up here uh, were used to the snow. And you can always adjust a flight if need be. Absolutely. Good deal. Glad you traveled safely as well. All righty. And Thanks. speaking of last week, uh, quite a week in the markets yet again. We had... Uh, I don't think the final returns really depicted what actually happened during the week. Would you agree? Yeah, in the end, we ended up slightly positive for the week, but uh, kind of a circuitous path to get there uh, with uh, the big rally on Friday on the jobs report. Absolutely. Really, really solid report. And why don't you talk a little more about that? We saw uh, expectations exceeded by about 80,000, right? So we came in about 260,000 jobs. Uh, Unemployment rate actually ticked down at 3.5%. And the all-important wage growth only up 3.1 percent. What are your takeaways? I'm sorry, yeah, average I, hourly I earnings think, uh, were 3.1 percent. Right? Yeah, I think. I mean, the, the key takeaway clearly is the job market remains quite healthy, and that can support consumer spending. Um, you know, not only did we get the much better than expected tally of jobs created, but we got a positive upward revision for the prior two months. So. Um, Really, really solid report. In fact, it's normal to have slower job growth at this stage, and we're not certainly we didn't see it the last month uh, or two. That's encouraging. Uh, and then the other takeaway I think is is wage growth remains uh, steady, and um, but not strong enough to cause the Fed to worry about overheating. Right? We could call it Goldilocks, right? Uh, right around three uh, percent. Uh, wage growth. So enough to support consumer spending, but not too much to spook the Fed. And enough to refute all the concerns about recession last summer, right, with that uh, periodically inverted yield curve. Yeah, we've said all along that we thought, while we wouldn't dismiss that signal, we thought there was a good chance that that the signal ended up being a a false positive. And uh, at least based on the data that we've seen in, in recent months, um, 
I think that that case still holds. Probably not going to see recession anytime soon, and the consumer is really uh, leading the charge to ensure that we have economic growth for at least another year, probably more. Yeah, and and, and that's something to keep in mind, too, because uh, when we were looking at that curve within the past year, I mean, we've all emphasized that, you know, you never want to say it's different this time, right? But it was kind of curious that your classic example when there's a flattening or inverted yield curve typically short rates are rising faster than long rates in anticipation of Fed uh, tightening uh, to slow down, you know, an overheated economy. But this time around, we saw long yields falling faster than short yields uh, because of the lack of inflation. And it was kind of a, a valuation measure that we talked about quite a bit, right, with the 10-year with the trading anywhere within the yield of what we got as low as 150, I'm sure, and as high as 2%, say, during the course of the year. But compared to, I guess the boon got as low as negative 75 basis points, and the JGB was well into negative territory as well. Uh, that was There was kind of a global valuation uh, and absence of inflation driving at this time. Yeah, that's right. The um, international treasury buyers have been out in full force. If they see negative rates or zero rates uh, over there, they're going to want to come over here and get uh, yields close to 2%. For our treasuries, right, right. You know, they seem low to us, but they're they're high relative to them. Absolutely, that's you, right. You know, the reason, one of the reasons we care about that, you know, in addition to the uh, the case against the yield curve signal, mm -hmm. uh, is the potential to put upward pressure on the U.S. dollar. Uh, the dollar's kind of been range bound uh, recently. That's certainly something that we have to watch. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's something the Fed must be mindful of, whether or not they're. The currency is part of their official mandate. They have to pay attention, obviously, most important to jobs and inflation, but they, can, they need to keep an eye on the dollar also, right? Because, uh, you know, that can, it was, it was very curious when the Fed was cutting throughout much of the past year, you know, the dollar was strengthening. So gladly we've stabilized and we'll have to pay very close attention to the dollar because not only are we looking at interest rates and the dollar, but there is this matter of a trillion dollar deficit with which we have to deal with. So, uh, that also would likely push uh, market interest rates higher, and uh, we're we're projecting a ten-year Treasury yield of two to two and a quarter in 2020. Uh, for quite frankly, that reason that this trillion-dollar deficit, global investors may demand may demand slightly higher yields going forward, which is probably a good way for you and I to transition to uh, activity this week. It's a big week for central banks. Not only do we have the the Brexit vote, uh, but for central banks, the Fed is meeting. And we also have the ECB. So you want to give a little preview on the Fed first, Jeff? Sure, John. Yeah, the, the preview of both meetings is, is probably the same story, right? It's that we're we're not really we got nothing left. Anything. <laughs> <clears throat> we'll get the same message that we've been getting from the Fed, which is um, a pause, mm -hmm. right? They, they'll say, presumably, that they remain data dependent and ready to move in either direction as needed, related back to the dollar. If the Fed tells us they're flexible and they could go either direction, that can help limit upward pressure on the dollar. So that's maybe something uh, to watch. But, uh, you know, maybe it's too harsh to say it's going to be like watching grass grow or paint dry. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I wouldn't expect a rate change or any change in, in messaging at all uh, from, from the Fed. And really the same uh, for the ECB as they transition to new leadership over there. Well, that's really interesting insight. Your point that they could go either direction, I think, is something we need to keep in mind also. I, I don't think we're going to see higher rates anytime soon, but if they send that sort of nebulous message 
that can just keep investors on edge because, uh, you know, when I joke that we, we've got nothing left, we're really in a situation where monetary policy, you know, certainly on a global standpoint, I don't know how much lower the ECB and the Bank of Japan can go. And uh, we've talked about for much of the past year or the past six months that, you know, 1% could be the new, new zero in the U.S. because we think the Powell Fed is loath to go uh, to negative yielding or negative rates here in the States anytime soon. Yes, yeah, certainly um, the the Fed has to maintain at least the threat of moving rates, mm-hmm. I think, in either direction. But certainly the odds that the next move down are, are higher than the, the odds that it goes the other, right, other right. direction. In fact, on average, um, it takes almost two years uh, to transition from, from cuts to hikes. Mm-hmm. So probably not going to see hikes even next year based on the historical pattern. Uh, and hopefully we don't need cuts, <laughs> because That's if right. we get That's right. cuts, that means clearly the economic outlook is deteriorating meaningfully. Yeah, it would be nice if we could have 2020, if we want to think about a, a Santa wish list, uh, we could have a Fed on hold and uh, clarity on trade, and then we can investors can get back to looking at earnings and interest rates and economic growth and demand and things things like that to drive investments as opposed to some of these other headlines which have been uh, weighing on investors for so long. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that would be. Uh, we've been talking about returning to fundamentals for quite some time. Mm-hmm. We've made some, some progress. The market's you know, focused more on earnings growth and you know, just good old-fashioned um, blocking and tackling right. here uh, rather than uh, you know, worrying solely about the latest uh, trade headline or the latest tweet. Clearly, trade headlines have been more supportive than not uh, recently. Uh, but I think if you look at this market, uh, pretty much at all-time highs right here, you'd have to say uh, that uh, investors are paying attention to uh, to fundamentals, and they're 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 pretty good here. Of course, yeah, yeah, we're we're strong strong believer in the fundamentals. Uh, but before we get to the market and a review of the 2020 outlook, uh, I do want to talk about the ECB for a little bit because you know really uh, it was a fascinating development this past summer as Mario Draghi was winding down his time. It was, I guess it was mid-summer when uh, Draghi gave the, the signal in a speech that they were going to cut yet again, and he was very aggressive talking about future bond purchases, sovereign bond purchases, and corporate purchases going forward. And that really kind of, you know, you just think there is a generation of German uh, wannabe central bankers, right, and all these... Uh, economic students who saw that and the traditional German conservative banker, if you will, that had to just make their skin crawl. And uh, so that kind of eliminated anybody, in my opinion, uh, hope from Germany to run the ECB. And then sure enough, a month after that speech, we find out it's Christine Lagarde who had been head of the IMF. And Christine Lagarde, maybe not necessarily an economist, but that's okay. She is clearly a global player perhaps the most connected uh, person globally. And uh, I think that could be the perfect role for the ECB right now, right? Because rates are so low and the ECB really needs to convince the rest of Europe uh, political leaders to start spending because it's, uh, or, or cutting taxes, combination of fiscal drivers in addition to what monetary has done. Because, you know, we obviously have trade as a headwind right now. But with the regulatory aspect, the tax cuts, the repatriation, 
some government spending, additional government spending as well. Uh, we we kind of have fiscal and monetary policy working more closely together than we've had in years. And uh, I think Christine Lagarde is someone who can you know get that that engine moving in Europe because it's really only been a monetary policy game for the past decade or so. Absolutely, they need they need fiscal stimulus. Uh, this is why Japan's ahead of Europe, I would say. They had a really strong GDP report, at least a strong positive revision to their GDP for the third quarter uh, overnight. They've enacted some structural reforms that are boosting growth a little bit. Right. Um, clearly, it's not booming. Mm-hmm. But uh, Europe needs to get on the same page and do some of that uh, because monetary policy is uh, pretty much exhausted, and there's only uh, uh, so much benefit they're going to get from here. Good, good deal. So we'll, we'll be very interested to see. And then we have the we have the Brexit vote uh, later this week, also just r- the same day as the ECB meeting. So that'll be very curious, also. And it's uh, you know I, I didn't realize this, but Boris Johnson barely won his district uh, by five thousand votes in the last election. So it, there was some speculation over the weekend that he may not win his district, but how could he stay on as prime minister? So apparently, he can make himself a lord and uh, still stay on. So it'll, it'll be really, I mean, we think our politics are fascinating domestically with all the challenges. Uh, it, it's, it's really curious what's going on in the UK right now. So it'll be very interesting to see, kind of get a one-two punch later on this week, and we'll be discussing it next week's podcast relative to the, uh, the vote in, in the UK as well as, uh, as well as the ECB meeting. So we'll be sure to highlight those uh, next week. So uh, for those of you who want to see more written work, uh, our weekly market performance is out on the LPL.com website, as is this week's weekly market commentary, where we're tightening up the messaging on, uh, on the economy section of our 2020 market outlook. Typically, we write an outlook, and then over the ensuing few weeks, we want to drill down a little bit on the economy on policy, on interest rates, and, and, and earnings. So this week, we're really talking more about economic growth, and clearly economic growth was fortified with Friday's jobs report. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, third quarter growth come in at, what, 2.1%. Up until a couple of weeks ago, fourth quarter growth was projected to be less than 1%, but now that we've seen, uh, let's see, we've seen durable goods, we've seen some housing, we've seen less bad manufacturing, uh, less bad services, and then the blowout jobs report would suggest uh, we're in a one and a half to two percent type growth rate for for the fourth quarter. Any comments there, Jeff? Yeah, and uh, I'll add retail sales. Yeah, uh, good mm-hmm. start to the holiday shopping season. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, consumer carrying this economy, consumer spending the majority of the calculation for gross domestic product. So um, you throw all that together, we have seen a really nice bump up in uh, fourth quarter GDP forecasts. Uh, we'll probably get something around trend, uh, which is, you know, in the neighborhood of 2%. I wanted to ask you, John, about the, you know, the forecast and the outlook. Uh, of course, clarity on trade is the big hindrance uh, right now. Do you think that there's upside to our 2020 GDP uh, growth forecast uh, in the U.S. if we do get more clarity on trade? Absolutely. Yeah, we're only at 1.75% for U.S. real GDP growth in 2020. If we get clarity on trade, therefore that opens up business investment because we've been counting on the consumer. Uh, and it's really curious and to, to a large extent frustrating because we have repatriated assets. We have the corporate tax cut. We have some regulatory tailwinds 
we have the immediate expensing incentives, but businesses aren't investing until we get clarity on trade. So we have so many tailwinds to really hand the baton over from the consumer to business investment. You know, when you transition from personal spending to business investment, that boosts productivity, that elongates the expansion. Well, that's been the most frustrating part, I think, of this whole experience. So to the degree we get clarity, uh, yeah, if, if we're going to tweak our 2020 forecast, I would have to suggest that uh, there's upside risk rather than downside risk to that number because, uh, you know, any clarity on trade unleashes that productivity-driven business investment, and then, then you see not only better economic growth, but we could see upside to our price target because I know a lot of people are concerned the S&P might be, I don't know, call it 3,100-ish this morning, December 9th, and, uh, you know, our year-end price target is or fair value range is in the 3250 to 3300 So after a 25% gain, I understand investors aren't too excited about the prospects for a 5 or 6% gain, but it is a 5 or 6% uh, prospective gain. You know, Jeff, you and I like numbers, right? We want to make sure the math works. It's not just about more dollars chasing fewer stocks. We have to make sure, you know, if you look at a top-down type number, not to get too geeky, we want to see, you know, what sales per share are. We want to uh, factor in what a, a margin estimate is. And margins basically have been hanging around one and a half or two times their their long-term averages for the past few years. So uh, anything north of 10 or 11 or some forecasts I'm seeing people are projecting 12% uh, margin, operating margins. And I, I just think that's that's real hard at this point in the cycle. So as much as we want to see higher stocks, the math really needs to work because if you have a market that moves too high, too fast, that's not supported by earnings, uh, there's too much air under that market, right? And I think last last December would be a great example of what happens when there's too much air under, uh, under a high. So we want to make sure it's a foundational move in the market. So consequently, we're looking at 5 or 6% earnings growth. Uh, the market multiple, the P-E ratio has moved so much over the past year, I would have to characterize it. Jeff, you, you, you like to play with these numbers, but I would have to say, I think two-thirds of the market move is this year was more related to uh, P-E than earnings. Might even be higher. I'd, no, I'd, I'd say it's uh, higher than that. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I'd say the valuations of stocks are fully justified here, mm-hmm. uh, given low interest rates and low inflation. Absolutely, absolutely. So just looking at a an 18, 17 and a half forward PE on the market, you know, that, that does look a little rich, or we'll call it fair value. So, yeah, so we're going to stick with uh, 3250 to 3300. Uh, that is an 18.5 to 18.75 trailing PE estimate on $175 in operating earnings. And if we get any clarity on that trade number, uh, you could see, you know, a higher number there. But until such time, uh, we're going to we're going to make sure the math works. We're going to focus on the fundamentals. We're not going to count on additional PE expansion. And Jeff, to close it out, why don't you just wrap up how we're positioning equity portfolios? Sure, John. Um, we continue to position portfolios uh, cyclically on the equity side. Uh, so that um, part of that is um, a focus on technology and industrials. The um, the growth value uh, balance. Um, we're, we're still there, kind of e- evening out exposure uh, to growth stocks and, and value stocks. Value's tried to uh, make some progress against growth here. It, it's had some fits and starts, uh, but we're not quite ready to uh, 
shift uh, over to the value side. And then we continue to focus on U.S. Uh, overdeveloped international, plus a little bit of exposure to emerging market equities, which certainly uh, can benefit here if we can get this phase one trade deal that we expect. Sounds good. So it's a good way to wrap it up. So uh, please check out LPL.com for uh, more information on our 2020 market outlook, as well as the weekly market performance report, as well as our weekly market commentary. And it's going to be a very big week with the Fed, with the ECB, with the UK vote. And then, uh, you know, bowl games start in a couple weeks. So people will be excited about that as well. So uh, Jeff, I want to thank you so very much for uh, participating today and helping out. I hope you continue to feel better. You know, we'll be back on next week with the next edition of LPL Market Signals Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, Please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.